Friends in Christ, let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So illumine now our hearts and our minds by the power of your spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we might receive with joy what you have to say to us today. All these prayers we make in the name of Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. The lectionary text from the Gospels for this Transfiguration Sunday is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. I invite you now to listen for God's word to you. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were speaking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. And our second lesson this morning comes from the book of Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses to his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Remember in the darkness what you saw in the light. My counselor left me with these words one afternoon when I was in college. I had just finished recounting to her an almost mystical experience I'd had the week before. At that time in my life, I was struggling with depression. And every day felt like a battle. Even the things that I typically enjoyed doing had been reduced to daunting obstacles that stood between me and the end of the day. This is how depression can feel for folks who struggle with it. Darkness was the best word to describe what I felt most of the time. Tennis practice had ended at 6.30, and it was about a 10-minute walk for me back to my dorm across the edge of campus. It was the dead of winter in Spokane, Washington, and it was cold. So I bundled up and put my tennis bag on my back and set out. The most direct path back to my dorm 
uh, was through an unused parking lot right on the edge of campus along a forest. It had snowed about a foot that day, and since it was an unused parking lot, they hadn't plowed it. And so as I made my way through it, my senses suddenly became flooded. You know how fresh snow mutes the sound so much that you can really hear your feet crunching as you walk along? And you know how snow makes moonlight dazzle in a thousand different directions? In the midst of all of those sensations, I suddenly stopped and, without thinking, became still. And out of nowhere, I remember feeling overwhelmed with a sense of peace as I noticed the beauty of the shimmering snow and the quiet of the forest. And I blurted out again without thinking, it's going to be all right. And for a minute there, I really believed it would. And I took a few deep breaths, wanting to savor the relief from this moment that I was getting from my weary world. I wanted to capture it. I didn't want it to end. But then all of a sudden, like water seeping through my fingers, it was gone. The world felt heavy again, and so I resumed my walk and plunged back into the darkness. As I reflected on that incident with my counselor, I lamented the fact that such a beautiful experience had only been momentary. Ugh, if only the darkness could be so fleeting, I complained. Or if only I could have bottled up that peace and taken it with me into the darkness. And my counselor reminded me of the obvious, and that is that you cannot capture those kind of moments. The only way to take them with you is to remember them well. Remember in the darkness what you saw in the light. At the time of Christ's transfiguration, tensions were beginning to rise, and the disciples would have been aware of those tensions. Jesus had been popular among some, but his list of enemies was growing because he'd been healing on the Sabbath, eating with sinners, throwing shade at religious leaders. Just the other day, he had actually predicted his own great suffering and death. If you were a disciple of Christ, you would be getting nervous. Then one day, Jesus takes three of his disciples along with him up a mountain to pray, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this amazing experience happens. Jesus' clothes and face begin to glow and shimmer with light. And Moses and Elijah appear and consult with him. And this cloud emerges, like the one that had led Israel through the wilderness and into the promised land, through the darkness and into the light. And God's voice speaks from the cloud. And for a few moments, God is so near and so palpable and so visible that darkness and death seem like impossibilities. And so Peter wants to capture the moment. He doesn't want it to end. So he offers to take matters into his own hands and build a dwelling for Moses and Jesus and Elijah so they can stay just like this here on the mountain with all the glory and majesty of God's presence shining around them. But then, all of a sudden, like water seeping through his fingers, it was gone. Moses was gone, Elijah was gone, the cloud was gone, even the light of Jesus' glory was gone. And all that may, remained was their vulnerable friend Jesus, 
and the disciples would be left to remember in the darkness that would follow what they had seen in the light of the transfiguration. You know, usually when we experience a moment of overwhelming grace, we want to capture it, don't we? We may want to capture it for ourselves because we're afraid that we'll never experience such an amazing thing again. We may want to capture it for another who has never had such an experience but who desperately needs one. And so when the moment is over, we want to know why such experiences are the exception rather than the norm. Why they can't be summoned or solicited at the perfect time for the perfect person. But the best we can do is to remember, to remember in the darkness what we saw in the light. From the Mount of the Transfiguration, Jesus would begin a descent into darkness, because from here he sets his face to Jerusalem and begins his journey to the cross, the journey we share with him throughout the season of Lent. There was more to be done in the meantime, to be sure, but from here on out, every step Jesus takes is a step towards his death. Peter would need his memories of the transfiguration throughout the journey that lay ahead. Because there would be plenty of moments to come when he would surely be tempted to think that everything was not going to be all right. If you're familiar with Peter's character in the Bible, then you might not think of him as someone who is particularly good at remembering in the darkness what he saw in the light. After all, Peter takes a lot of heat for getting called Satan by Jesus, for denying Christ three times, for falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's supposed to be keeping watch. But consider for a moment what's happening in the text we read from 2 Peter in today's scripture lesson. The original recipients of this letter were struggling to maintain their faith. They were unsure of the transforming power of Christ, and they were feeling the lure of more self-indulgent and self-serving philosophies that appeared to offer relief from the ridicule and persecution that came from being a first-century Christian. And into the midst of their situation, into its darkness, Peter, the presumed author of the letter, appeals to his recollection of the transfiguration to urge them on to faithfulness. We made known to you the majesty we witnessed on the mountain, he says. We heard the voice of God ourselves while we were with him on the mountain. And finally, Peter says, you will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It's as if Peter is saying, remember in the darkness what you saw in the light. Can you remember a time in your life when you experienced an overwhelming moment of grace? Maybe it was a moment of peace, or a moment of hope, or a moment of joy, or a moment of gratitude. And if you can remember such a moment, are you able to call it to mind when you're not experiencing peace, or hope, or joy, or gratitude? The truth is that for most of us, these dramatic moments can be few and far between. It's not that faith is always a struggle necessarily, but mountaintop experiences of God are 
not usually everyday occurrences. Not many of us roll out of bed every morning to an audible voice from heaven or a visible manifestation of God. My sense from talking to people about faith is that a lot of folks wonder if other people have more mountaintop experiences in their faith than they do. I hear this fear expressed in comments like, so-and-so is so much closer to God than I am. Or, I wish my faith were as strong as so-and-so's. Some of us feel like we're kind of faking it sometimes because God doesn't always break into our world with such glorious and awe-inspiring dazzle. We might wonder if we're doing something wrong, if we struggle to hear God's voice, to feel God's presence, to behold God's beauty. But actually, it's normal for mountaintop experiences to not be normal. That's what makes them so overwhelming and so precious when we do experience them. And our faith can still be profound and steadfast, even if it's more subtle and more modest most of the time. Because we can't capture or summon these kinds of astounding epiphanies. They come to us once in a while, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, as pure, perfect grace. And when, indeed, those moments come, and friends, from time to time, let me assure you, they do come. When those moments come, it is then that we become equipped to remember in the darkness what we saw in the light. Memory, then, is a key asset for spiritual growth. When we are blessed with a momentary experience of grace, we must hold it close in our memories. Now, by memory, I mean the ability to access the meaning that we drew from the experience. We may not recall all of the details, all of the play-by-play, but what's important is to remember the meaning that we discovered on the mountaintop. In other words, to remember is not just to hold something in our minds, but to hold it in our bodies and in our hearts. To remember in a way that is consequential to our understanding and our interpretation of the present. When I was in seminary in Pittsburgh, I served as a chaplain at a men's shelter. And one day I met a man who told me that God had spoken to him when he was a child. I asked the man what God had told him, and he said he couldn't really remember. It was something about looking ahead or moving toward the future. And he said that God had never spoken to him in the same way again. But ever since that moment as a child, he had known that God was with him even through all that he'd been through. And he mentioned this experience to me every time I met with him. So even though he couldn't remember many details about it at all, the meaning of that experience continued to provide light in this man's present darkness. To remember in the darkness what we saw in the light is that kind of remembering. It involves holding the meaning of the light in an accessible place within us, a place that lends its light when the darkness surrounds. Christian remembering is a meaning-making exercise, and finding lasting, enduring meaning in these momentary experiences of grace is the only way to take them with us. 
A friend of mine watched his mother die of a terrible disease a few years ago. And she wasn't one to talk much about her faith, but one day at dinner, right after she had gone on to hospice care at home, his mother announced to the family that she had had a dream in which God had assured her that everything was going to be all right. And that was it. That's all she told the family that night, and she didn't mention her faith again in the subsequent months before she died. It was a brief comment without much detail. But my friend holds on to that moment to this very day as a source of comfort when he misses her. This comment demonstrates that his mother had found peace before she died, that she was looking to God's provision as her own body failed her. And so my friend remembers in the darkness of his grief what he had seen in the light of his mother's blessed assurance that God was with her. On the Mount of the Transfiguration, the disciples witnessed the glory of Christ for a brief, dazzling moment, a light that pointed to God's steadfast love and beauty. It was a moment of pure grace. But just like that, like water seeping through their fingers, it was gone. And the disciples would be left to remember in the darkness that followed what they had seen in the light. So it is for all of us who follow Christ and who follow him to the cross. Amen.